Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash Amos. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash Amos to help us continue to make high quality and tourytainment for you. At first they wanted lyric sheets, and I said, well, I really can't do that because I can't, I can't have somebody misinterpreting. I'm very clear about what I'm doing. I'm a minister's daughter. Mm -hmm. There's a reason I'm coming to the church to claim my womanhood Mm -hmm. because this is a a place where it's really been circumcised, you know, in in religion. And I said, I can't... uh, they wanted to see the your, your They lyrics. wanted to see the lyrics, and I said, "Let, let me make it easier for you and for me. You just have to honor the fact that I'm coming here, and I'll take full responsibility." I haven't heard from them since, so I don't know what they think about it. But hey, everybody! You're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts. I'm Ephraim Jr. and I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're talking about Muhammad, my friend. From Tori's third album, Boys for Pele. David. Hey. How are you? I'm okay. I'm well, uh, I guess. Long time no see. I know. We're living in a post-sneeze world. Uh, we'll never talk about sneeze again. Isn't that crazy? I know. We're just going through these tracks. <laughs> Every day since that episode, when I wake up in the morning, I start by saying, what would Inanna or whoever do? <laughs> what would Inanna or She whoever? wouldn't give her power away to no man, I'll tell you that. That's true. It's changing my life. I thought that was a really good episode. I was really proud of us. I was too. I'm proud of it, particularly because that is a huge song in Tori's canon, but also it's an important song to me as we established top three. So I wanted to make sure that we we did it justice Agreed. and left no building untumbled. Exactly. And I think we managed to do that. I think we did too. The next big song we really have is uh, Hey Jupiter. I know. So we have this like little lull. A small respite. Ugh. <laughs> we could just kick our feet up and talk about ourselves for a change. We can have some tea, touch up our lipstick. Which we are collect having. Collect ourselves. Would you tell the people what we're having? I think the signature drink of the show has rapidly become a hot toddy. I love it. I um, love it. started because I was under the weather for the first you know, handful of episodes and it was doing the trick. And now I think it's just part of the ritual. How are you feeling? Are you over the weather? I'm better. I'm almost there. I would not want the listeners to think that you made a dainty hire of someone <laughs> not made of sturdy stuff. You couldn't make it through a single episode without talking about how sick he was and collapsing onto a fainting couch. This is a raisin so... girl, not a cornflake girl. <laughs> sturdy like a raisin. Never was. Never was. Never could. Never did. Full of shit. <laughs> oh, God. Uh... <laughs> what did we just say about being done with sneeze? Oh, yeah, we're done. It's just so. We've just moved on. Here's the thing about Sneeze, called Light Sneeze, that I was terrified to approach it. It's one of those songs that people start with 
in 20 episodes, there will be people discovering us for the first time who will start with Steve. Yes. It's like one of those. I'm going to pick a well-known songs. track and hear. Exactly. Yes. And just mm-hmm. hear what we're about. So I was really nervous about it, but I'm going to miss it. And it's ever onward. I can't believe we're here. When was the first time you heard Muhammad, my friend? Let's talk about that. I think I first heard Muhammad, my friend, on um, MTV News when there was a package um, with Kurt Loder oh that's God. sort of announcing the the impending release of Boys for Pele. And they played a segment of the instrumental intro under an, an interview segment with Tori. And I practically had my ears pressed up against the TV because I was like, I think this is the first bit of music that I'm hearing from this album. And it's solo piano, which is exactly what I want. And, you know, I obviously had no idea what song it was, but I had the track listing. And for some reason, my guess was that it was Horses, the opening oh. track, which was clearly not the case. But Because you were longing for uh, some sort of piano based ballad right yeah that's that's what i wanted you know under the pink was really the album that cemented my fandom and i would still probably say that under the pink gets the top top spot for me but point being that was the sound that i was really loving at the time and i wanted more piano strings let's play a little bit of that yeah we had to um, depart when there were funerals there would be funerals and um we would have to move the harpsichord and break down because it was continuously going. I, I didn't want to be in a church that was um, dead. It was important to have that um, current running, especially if, if I was going to go claim my passion. That is some deep, deep cut trivia. That Back. Muhammad was played on MTV yeah, on News. that MTV package. I love that. I Way love go, the interview David. clip with Tori talking about resurrecting the songs in the church and mm-hmm. Kurt Loder just kind of shrugs and make a face <laughs> like, isn't she a loon? You know, I wanted more from Kurt Loder. He was so cold because he was so much older than everybody else. He was like the, he was like the MTV VJ daddy. Yes. But he was so like, removed from it He was it like all. a decrepit 35. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> At that time, he was the age I'm going to be in five years. I hate playing that game. I measure myself and my woman's worth against fictitious characters. Like I really? hate watching reruns of shows like Friends now. Where they're like, oh my God, we're turning turn 30. 30. And at the time when that aired, that did seem super old yeah, to me. And now yeah. I've lapped those characters. Twice. I'm really, <laughs> I'm really uncomfortable with that. Speaking of old, did you watch the Grammys? I watched like the tail end of the Grammys. I forgot that they were on. And I turned the TV on and I was like, oh, let's give this a look-see. And um, I'm sure that I will recognize some of these acts that are nominated. <laughs> and sure enough, there came Elton John. And I was like, oh, I know her. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, and here's Miley Cyrus joining him for a duet. <laughs> these are people that I recognize. And before I knew it, I absolutely realized I was having the moment of becoming my parents. And I was I was not doing it ironically. I was like, is she even saying words? What is this music? Is she, like, why can't she just say the words? Why is she singing like that? And this is... I grew up listening to women singers. I loved the voices of Suzanne Vega, Tori Amos, obviously, mm-hmm. but like Lisa Germano. I loved Sophie B. Hawkins. I loved women. I loved their voices. When I was younger, to me, that's who should be singing mm-hmm. is an angelic female. A woman's voice is who I want singing to me. So it's a shame that we've reached this point in music where women are underrepresented in music. And they always have been on the radio. I agree. And it's shocking to think that in some respects we've gone backwards. I mean, we spent a little bit of time talking about K-Rock on the last episode because I'm from L.A. And that's obviously like the big, you know, alternative station. But at the time, like when A Caught Light Sneeze came out, there were a lot of alternative female musicians. There were. 
on the radio and if you listen to K-Rock now, and that was like a very brief window of time where I guess the record industry decided that people wanted to listen to women, whatever that conversation was, but it did not last long and it immediately reverted back to the way it was. And if you listen to K-Rock now, the only female voice you will probably ever hear is Gwen Stefani. And that's been the case for years and years and years. Well, that's unfortunate. So, I mean, it's been 20 plus years since we went through that cycle. Are we due for a resurgence I hope of so. female music? It's not that women aren't producing incredible, incredible music. Oh, sure. Just last year, Kesha's album, really, really good. Mm-hmm. Beyonce. I love my pop girls, Beyonce, Kesha, Fifth Harmony. I'm always there for them. Britney, of course. I mean, I know radio obviously is not the be-all, end-all of music at all, and you can go many other places to find things, but that still doesn't really speak to why women aren't played on the radio. Like, for example, Lana Del Rey could be our contemporary Tori. Does she get played on K-Rock ever? I don't think so, and why is that? She's amazing. God, I love her. I'm all about her new hair. Uh, <laughs> well, that's an empowering conversation. Thank you. Let's talk about what women are bringing to music. Oh my God, her, her hair. hair. <laughs> well, I mean, she's bringing something that no one else is bringing to music. And she's she certainly pioneered a sound and a persona. Agreed. That people are emulating. So there's nothing to be said. Lana mm-hmm. Del Rey's a genius mm-hmm. and she's amazing. So they're still out there. But as always, you've got to try a little harder to find them. But um, I, I guess where I was going with the whole Grammy conversation was that it did nothing for me but make me feel old. Uh, but we get it. Eve's cool, y'all. Yeah, I'm young. I'm young. He's like a mom, but he's like a cool Yeah, mom. like I'm cool. I'll, so like, girls are going to drink. Yeah, I'd like, rather, rather have you just here. drink here where you're safe, <laughs> you know. Anyway, I'm very excited to talk about something that I love talking about. You ready? Mm-hmm. I'd like to say hi to all our new Patreon supporters. Adam Newman, Thomas Bowden, Amy Peake, Jared Ford, Glow Hawa, Colin Morrison, Eric Reed, Matthew Webb, Ashley Brumbach, John Gallant, John Auersler, Michelle Marlborough, Corby Hetler, and Natalie Madison Taylor. Welcome to the family, guys. Thank you so much for your support. And you, if you are not a supporter already, you can join us by going to patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos, where we have many different perks at many different levels. We produce two secret podcasts. One for the $5 subscribers and one for the $10 subscribers. But if you're a $10 subscriber, you get both. And it's tour all year and drive all night plus. So go check it out. You know, it's not a secret if you tell everyone, right? That's a good point. You want to talk about our guests? I do. On today's episode, we have Alexander Leger Small, a handsome gentleman and a super fan of Muhammad, my friend. I met Alexander on tour and he's a super fan of this song and I'm very excited to talk to him about his relationship with Muhammad, my friend, and what his thoughts are on the song. So he'll be in our super fan portion of the episode. Do you think we should call it something else besides super fan? Like, I like Superfan. You like Superfan? Yeah. yeah. It gets to that point, right? Yeah, for sure. Okay. It's not demeaning, is it? No. I wouldn't want to. Like, no, I think he's self identified as a Superfan, too. Okay, good. On the Sneeze episode, you know, we were really working on calling in our goddess energy. So for the follow up, we decided to bring in Drive All Night's very own goddess, Jessa Crispin. <laughs> Hello, Jessa. Subject matter expert who will be joining us for our line-by-line line analysis of Muhammad and My Friend. We've never had anyone join us for the line-by-line. Line. What does she write about? She writes about patriarchal religion and divine femininity. So this is the perfect, perfect. show. She's going to teach us about women. She's going to teach us about religion. And after this, we'll be... We'll be done. Yeah, we'll be done. The like, end. We'll be officially women. Yeah. We'll be honorary religious women. We're going to get our honorary bachelorette degrees. Yes. All right, David. Let's do this. I'm ready. Okay. Let's drive this truck towards Muhammad. This truck stops in Bentley Helms. One ticket to Bentley Helms, please. Oh, you guys, we have a story for you. 
And I, I want to be very delicate, okay? Because this is my gift to you guys and not in a mean-spirited way because I'm obsessed with this. This beautiful woman did a cover. You know how some people put their iPhone up and they just sing along to like a karaoke track and they put it on YouTube not thinking twice, right? She did that with Muhammad, my friend, but she doesn't seem to know the lyrics, but to wonderful, wonderful joy. And let me just play this cover. Her name is Kayesha Wilson or Kayesha Wilson. And I love everything about this cover. Thank you. Muhammad, my friend, it's time to tell the world. We both know it was a girl back in Bentley Hills. And on that faithful day, she was crucified. She washed her sin on dress. And we drank tea by her side. It was sweet. Sweet, sweet, you used to be so sweet to me, well. Muhammad, my friend, I'm getting very scared. Teach me how to love my brothers who don't know the law. What about the years? On flying trap fees, you got a peanut butter hand. My honey do drop in at the do drop off. I said, Sweet, sweet, sweet. Kaisha, if you're out there, girl, give us a call. Our number is 323-296-9955. That's our actual hotline. You can leave us a message and we'll play it on the show. I think it's time to go to Bentley Helms, David. I'm ready. Here's Aural Atrium with his remix of Muhammad, My Friend. He is doing these especially for our show, so you should head over to his Bandcamp page and check him out, blackscript.bandcamp.com, and the script is with a K. And of course, we'll link to it in our show notes at songsoftoriamus.com. See you in a second. If you're gonna go claim your hidden feminine, a good place to go and get it is the church, because I'm telling you, you'll find a lot of them hiding under pews. It's like parts of myself. Oh, there you are. Oh. 
No, truth. I mean, you know, let's be honest. Religion has not supported women and men exploring all sorts of their sides. They're unconscious. It has not been supportive of, you know, go into the places without shame, without blame, without judgment, and just let yourself really see what's cooking there. It's crazy here in Bentley Helms. (laughs) It's going off. It's crazy in Bentley Bentley Helms. My goodness. Um, So, Muhammad, my friend. Huh? Hey, how about that little song? I think it's time to tell the world. That little guy. A little bit about Muhammad, my friend. (laughs) You knew I was going to use that joke. Um, Let's start with some quotes, shall we? Hit me. From Musician Magazine in May 1996, Tori says, Muhammad, my friend, surprised me too. I was singing in Christmas services. I was with my parents. I was watching the nativity. And after a while, I said to myself, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. We are singing Away in a Manger. Tori sings the first two bars of Away in the Manger and then sings the opening line to Muhammad, my friend, with the identical first three notes. I kept getting more and more into the perfect little love with the lullaby of Away in the Manger. I started to get husky in the throat. I started to wonder who, with everybody speaking of the baby Jesus, should come up to the cradle. And I found that, of all people, I wanted to have a chat about it with Muhammad because the prophet is the one who supposedly knows the law. So I decided that they needed to talk about the law the law of the feminine that had been castrated with the birth of Christ. So what do you think of that story? I do love the way she says, Muhammad, my friend, surprised me too. Like, uh, Muhammad, what are you doing what? here? Hello. I just come oh to goodness. church. and um, You go here too? Oh. <laughs> so let's talk about this away in the manger idea. Let's start there. In fact, let's hear it straight from the Torse's mouth. This is from the first time she did it on tour in Newcastle on March 5th, 1996. This is what she said before the song. My father dragged me to Christmas the year before, and I'm sitting here listening to all these kids go, you know, their sweet little song. And I'm sitting there listening, and I gotta tell you the truth, this, it just wasn't right. When they would go, First of all, I mean, I'm going to call Tori on something. <clears throat> Do you expect me to believe you're sitting in church? You're like, they're not doing this right. Uh-huh. So in the back of the church, during these kids' services, where right. they're singing, you're in the back moaning. I don't buy it. Yeah, running your hands through your hair. Uh-huh. I mean, that's the same idea that Tori at five was like, I am not going to give myself to my husband. I had very (laughs) strong ideas, Grandma, about my virginity at age five. So you're saying that maybe that didn't happen exactly that way? Maybe not exactly that way. But do you see the Away in the Manger connection? Sure, and I can see that, you know, the kernel of the song was probably in that experience. Let me ask you something, Eve. What was your impression the first time you listened to the song and looked at the lyrics with your background? My background is what? (laughs) As a Christian or not a Christian. Tell me a little bit about how you were raised and if you had any religious affiliation. And where I'm going is, was the lyrical content of this song at all scandalous to you or sacrilegious? That's a good question. And that's a really good place to start. Thank you. Um, I was raised Catholic, but like kind of, you know, like Catholic-ish. Mm-hmm. I was from a very Catholic community. I came out really early. And when I came out at 14, I sort of abandoned going to church. That was kind of that. Was that because you felt those two things were not compatible? Yes. And also church bored me. If I'm being honest, that that's what that was. Like I didn't want to go be bored for something I didn't believe in, first of all, and something I thought was foolish. And I'm not trying to offend anybody. 
But at that time in my life, I was really looking for a a lesson in the flesh. I don't have any recollection of being scandalized. And in fact, part of why I'm excited to do this episode when we get to the line by line with Jessa is to finally pick apart what the song means because I've always kind of dismissed the lyrics, not like they don't mean anything, but dismissed that I'll ever understand them. (laughs) And I'm not well-versed in other religion. I'm not well-versed in religion, especially Islam. So Muhammad might not even have occurred to me that this was a song tearing down religion or Mm. breaking apart. I mean, like... Even with the suggestion that Jesus was female? Not as... And it is nothing I held dear, so it didn't shatter my world. Mm -hmm. And if anything, I respected that Tori would say something like that. I've never really known much about religion, so it really didn't mean anything to me. And that's probably why it's one of my least favorite songs on the album mm. when it came out. Even though it's a honest, comfortable tune, it wasn't like a banger. It was no, It's no Little Amsterdam or Donut song. <laughs> it wasn't a banger. Right. It wasn't a banger. It wasn't like, a toe tapper. Right. It wasn't a, a barn burner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It wasn't a banger like Hey Jupiter. Mm. Yeah, it didn't rock my world. Mm. And how did you feel? Were you scandalized? Because you were <clears throat> much more religious than I was growing up. I wouldn't necessarily say I was scandalized in terms of my own personal belief system. I think I was definitely primed for Tori. Tori's music definitely entered my life at just the right time that I I needed it. But you were aware that there was a transgression there, right? For sure. um, For sure. And, you know, a a lot of what I responded to in Tori's music was her um, experience with organized religion and just the fact that she was asking questions and... I mean, really, I think Tori was saying things that not a lot of people were saying at the time. And now it seems like the kind of topics she was bringing up are stuff you can hear all the time. It's not like particularly scandalous. But at the time, especially when you're, you know, 14, raised in a religious household and going to religious schools, it's like, what? I did not know that thinking this way was an option and that there were even, I guess, questions to be asked or that one could ask those questions. So that really changed the way that I was thinking and experiencing the world and my own personal relationship with religion and what role it was going to play or not play in my life at that at that time. So I wasn't personally scandalized by it, but I knew that this, this sort of sentiment that Jesus was a girl or what if Jesus was a woman was something that other people would certainly have a problem with and consider blasphemous and that some of those people may have been my parents and that this was something that I didn't necessarily want them to know that I was listening to either because they'd have a problem with it or it would force me into a conversation with them that I didn't want to have. So I tried to kind of keep this. But that's a great part of being a teenager too, right? When you have a relationship with music or any kind of content that you don't that we want to just be your own and that, you know. So did you feel like your parent, like you were hiding this from your parents? Yeah, for sure. And I I had a guilty conscience. That, that's that scandalous? Really? This song? Um, Like a lot of Tori songs, like including Cruz, just her use of religious imagery, again, is not something that a lot of people were doing at the time. And it wouldn't even necessarily matter what she was saying, just the fact that she was talking about Jesus and God in a song, I think would have raised a lot of eyebrows. Plus... The music itself sounds relatively dark, I guess. So I think my parents would have been and were to some degree sort of suspicious of this woman and this material that I was suddenly very, very interested in. And I wasn't entirely off the mark. I mean, at a certain point, my parents tried to blame Tori's influence for a lot of choices that I made. 
um, I guess, or who, who I was as a person. Right. Yeah, I guess that's right. like the primary example of that. Right. But when there actually was a segment on the local news about the piglet billboard on Sunset Boulevard, oh. and they were interviewing people, asking them about it, and you know, people were outraged and disgusted, and what is this? And that was, of course, like right before the the L.A. Tory shows. And those were my first shows. And my mom saw that new segment and she flipped out and was wow. like, that's disgusting. And I can't wow. believe this. And you're not going to see that woman. So, like, wow. I, I knew that if certain things entered their consciousness that they would have a huge problem with it. So I kind of knew how to corral certain things. But I had a, I had a guilty conscience. I was always reading things that were sort of beyond my years when I was like 10 and 11 years old and I would be sitting there like huddled in the corner of my room and I had the feeling that like my mom would just like know if she walked into my room she would have x-ray vision and be able to like see through the book to like the racy sex scene so I'd be reading on my bed and if I heard her coming I would throw it across the room or drop it on the floor so that if she walked in I'd be like what no I was just I'm just sitting here that's how, yes that's how I do with my cell phone when I'm driving and I see a cop <laughs> I literally just drop it straight to the ground. Um, David, I regret now not being religious because I didn't connect with Tori ever on that level. Mm. I never connected with her on a religious context or that she was smashing any kind of patriarchy. Although, as a fan of Tori, when God came out and when Crucify came out, I recognized that those two songs were important and controversial, and I loved that about her. But it never... I'm just now realizing it. it never hit me personally like that controversy because my parents were so young. They were at that age when I was in my teens that they were afraid to lose their cool. So they had to be cool with whatever I was listening to. Yeah. That's I just crazy. had a different experience. Yeah. And it, you know, there certainly was a lot that I responded to in Tori's work. It wasn't strictly the religious element, but it's obviously so prevalent and yeah. drives a lot of, yeah. of what she tackles. And that was a huge part of it for me because I knew at that point as a young teenager that I was gay and I hadn't necessarily given voice to it yet, but I was trying to reconcile, okay, how do I, how have I been raised in this environment with a belief system that I, you know, kind of ascribe to knowing that this belief system is also telling me that there's something fundamentally wrong with me. Like, how do I move forward in that? And I am sort of responding to the conversation that Tori is having because I feel like she's working this out in her own way, not from the perspective of homosexuality or whatever, but trying to maintain a connection to spirituality, but knowing that what she was raised with didn't ring true to her or suit her. So how do I still have that element in my life in a way that feels authentic? How do I grow with that or establish a more sophisticated adult relationship with spirituality? And that's what I was asking for, but I didn't necessarily know. Are you spiritual today? Yes. Yes? Wow. I would say that I am. There's definitely um, a level of spirituality that's pretty central to my life, I think. And I have to say that my relationship with Tori's music and the kind of journey that it encouraged me to take is largely responsible for that if it had been tory maybe it would have been something else but again it came at the right time for me Meredith before Brooks. can you imagine if i was like when i heard bitch, bitch i knew that i was all, i knew i was all things, all things. that's right <laughs> uh, i am a child and a mother in details magazine in march 1996 tory says i was having a cup of tea with muhammad and saying that there are as many belief systems as there are people to not acknowledge that means chaos so you went to Catholic school or you went to, you went to 
I did all of them. Like, to yourself, I can say, I know about anything Christian, honey. honey. I went to a Presbyterian preschool. Oh. I went to a fundamentalist Baptist elementary school and then Catholic school for the rest. So wow. I got a sampling. From the Shepherd Express, June 6th, 1996, about Muhammad, my friend, Tori says, I sat there and started to think, all right, I've heard all this backwards and forwards from every angle and fine. I'm into this love your neighbor as yourself. That's great. But where does all this fear come from about dancing the primitive dance, the concept of woman, their sensuality, their connection with all aspects of the self? I read a bit of mythology with Isis, etc. and said, okay, where did all of this go? Where's the balance? Where's the female aspect of God? The fragmentation of the feminine is something that really started to perk my interest. And that's what Muhammad, my friend, is about. Trying to find the female part of God that's been circumcised. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that quote? Yeah, I think that's interesting, especially her use of the word primitive, because there is sort of an ingrained fear in Christianity of female sexuality and what will happen if that's allowed to sort of be out of the box. And that's how, you know, we ended up with witch trials. <laughs> like we've got to keep these women under control because there's something about them that we don't understand that we need to keep contained and control. So I guess, you know, on some level, it seems like that's Tori's version of working this out for herself. Like, how do I reconcile this belief system with my personal experience? What's my relationship with something greater than myself if this whole time I've been told, well, it's definitely male, you're definitely not. You don't even have agency over your own body if we had our way, right? Like you keep your virginity until you're married and you yeah. give it to your husband and then you basically live to, to serve your husband and God. Like great, great deal. Hit us with a quote, David. Give us something juicy. This quote is from B-Side, May, June 96. Tori says, and then when you're so sure it's with the boys, we both know it was a girl back in Bethlehem. What am I doing? You're beginning to remember the blueprint. You're beginning to remember that this is not just because boys laughed at you when you were 13. This is a program that is going back very far. Which is what you were just talking about. It's ingrained into the mythology of it mm. all, into the doctrine. Mm -hmm. And this comes, you know, obviously after the pivotal moment of Cotolite sneeze when she realizes that she's been giving her power away or looking for power to come through a man or her relationship with a man and that she has to go back to her authentic connection to yeah. something greater that has nothing to do with any relationship, certainly not one with a man. So you're saying in that in that context, it has to be after Cotolite sneeze, like it's the perfect spot. Yeah, because to me, she's gotten to the point where she can kind of acknowledge that she's in that broken place of needing a relationship, needing to feed on a man, being willing to keep it going for whatever reason. But when it's not reciprocated, let's say, it's like she has a moment of clarity, like, why am I doing this? How did I get to such a broken place where I need someone else to give me a sense of purpose or to make me feel like I'm okay? What if I go back and kind of try to heal the wound at the time and place when it occurred? this division of, of male-female and get back in touch with a connection to something greater. Find my own fire. Well, about the placement on the album, she says in the Fort Lauderdale Herald on April 12, 1996, when we hit Muhammad, you realize we've just taken a bend in the road. The first half of the record is about her descent into the horror. She's got to find another way of looking at herself. On the next song, Hey Jupiter, she knows the way she has looked at relationships with men and put them on a pedestal is over. There's a sense of incredible loss because I knew that I would never be able to see the same way again. It's freeing, and yet there's a sense of grieving with that. Mm -hmm. So 
this is that realization, that discovery. If she's tattered and torn at the end of Sneeze, and she's learned something by, hey, Jupiter, that it could never be the same. She's going back to that sort of moment in time or that place. This album, these songs have been with us for so long that I sort of take them for granted. And it's been a long time that I've really looked at it with a more critical eye and tried to reconcile my experience of the music and what the music is saying versus what Tori has said and trying to make sense of it as a narrative or a novel and figure out like why this song takes place between Sneeze yeah. and Jupiter as opposed yeah. to after Donut Song or whatever right, that right, is. Right, right, right. So. Um, I found this other quote in Amica in March 1996 that I love. We put men under pressure too much by expecting them to make us happy. I want to get happy by my inner energy. And it seems like it fits right here. Like this is where we're discovering that. Yep. You know. You want to hear what she said about the song in Piece by Piece? Give me a piece. Break me off a piece of that piece by piece. <laughs> I was working with the dark goddesses during and after making boys for Pele. Pele herself and the Sumerian goddess Inanna or whoever, whose name I cry out singing on the song Caudalite Sneeze. Then, naturally, Lilith, niece of Inanna, as well as Demeter, because of the loss of a child with my first miscarriage. I had gone to the underworld to try to claim my daughter back. I went to the edges, the parameters of what I know about consciousness on this plane, to try to make deals with the Christian God, with the Islamic God, a relationship I explore in Muhammad, my friend. So she's going to the depths right here to figure it out with Muhammad. Yeah, that's just an interesting little piece from Piece by Piece. This quote is from London Observer Service. Given her background, it is tempting to see Amos's work as an extended act of rebellion against her upbringing, and she admits to peeling away the layers of ideals my family tried to ingrain in me. She's at it again on our new album. We both know it was a girl back in Bethlehem. She flutes heretically on Muhammad, my friend. Small wonder that back home they have taken to praying for her soul. This is taking me back to Father Lucifer when we were talking about the line, how's your Jesus Christ been hanging? Mm -hmm. And we were talking about whether or not that was a conscious effort on Tori's part to kind of court controversy. Mm -hmm. And I think you and I sort of agree that she wasn't just trying to shock for the sake of shock. Right. But I feel like with this song sort of implying that Jesus was a woman or what if Jesus had been... she kind of was courting controversy a little bit with this and, mm-hmm. and knew that this idea would get a response. Well, from it's people. so funny that you say that because I want to read this quote. Listen to this. In the Boys for Pele deluxe liner notes, she says, Muhammad is a song about monotheism recorded at a time when Islam wasn't part of the daily conversation for most Westerners. Good thing I brought it out when I did, Amos notes. It felt absolutely right at the time and necessary. It wasn't meant to hurt or to be offensive. It was a real conversation with an idea. It's very much of its time, but it feels honest and it doesn't feel vindictive. It provoked dialogue, but mostly because of the line in the Pope's rubber robe. Now, I never took that as a controversial line until I read those notes. Is that supposed to be a controversial line? So you're right. Maybe she's courting controversy, but she wraps herself so much in metaphor that people don't always realize the controversy was there. But she did perform this song on David Letterman. Yes. And she did give this national exposure. So she was trying to court controversy. David, you win. She knew exactly what she was doing. And she followed it up with her next Letterman performance of Father Lucifer. So she was like, (gasps) I got two big guns on this. Are you ready, America? (laughs) (laughs) You want to talk about religion? Let's do it. Kevin Aquan. Get my toga. (laughs) I'm a little puzzled by the dialogue that's being established with Muhammad or Islam 
through this song, like, you know, you know, the main thrust of the conversation is about Jesus and the Christian Messiah being a woman. Like, what is she really saying, if anything, about Islam and the role that Muhammad plays in that religion? I'm not sure I know the answer to that question or right, why right. or why that side of the conversation would be at all controversial other than the fact that he, she's mentioning him at all. Yeah. But she's having a dialogue. Why is the mere mention of him controversial? Yeah, and she's having a dialogue with Muhammad about Christianity, not about Islam, yeah. as far as yeah. I it's can really tell. It's really tricky, yeah. I think now is a good time to go into line by line. We should call Jessa and like... We need, we need, some, we need to get someone on the phone. We need a religion master, <laughs> a woman of the faith. <laughs> Let's throw it to a cover. Let's play Muhammad, My Friend, which is an acoustic cover by Sub Rosa. I love this cover. They're a band from Melbourne, Australia. Melbourne. Today, we thought it would be fun to bring in someone to help us dissect these lyrics because, I mean, I mean, we're useless. I mean, let's face it. Jessa Crispin is the author of The Dead Ladies Project and she runs the podcast Public Intellectual. She can be found at jessacrispin.com. Hi, Jessa. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. We're very excited to have someone representing all of women. <laughs> you are hereby representing all of womankind. Excellent. I feel totally okay doing that. I mean, you've been preparing your whole life for that. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I'm a writer, um, and part of what I've been writing about for the last several years is religion and women's place in it, or outside of it, as it may be. So I've been doing a lot of writing about sort of women saints, monotheistic, patriarchal religion, and the sort of effect that that has on its followers and mythology and that sort of thing. So it seems like the right fit for um, this particular song. Thank goodness we have a subject matter expert. (laughs) I love hearing anyone's story in terms of how they first heard Tori or how they developed a relationship with her music. So I'd love to hear uh, what that was for you. Yeah, I grew up in rural Kansas, um, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Um, But we had VH1. So that was very exciting. We did not have MTV, but our cable company did carry VH1. They thought MTV was too scandalous. Um, so you, we weren't allowed to get it uh, for the town. I think my first introduction then must have been the Silent All These Years video. Oh, wow. Going way back. Love that. Yeah. And I was pretty young, and um, I didn't really sort of get into her until Under the Pink. I started to like her, and then... Boys for Pele 
you know, driving my car to the mall to buy a copy on the release dates at the Sam Goody yeah. <laughs> at the Salon Kansas Mall. <laughs> and then it was an obsession after that. Um, have you always connected to Muhammad, my friend? Yeah, I think it was always kind of one of my favorites. You know, when I heard it at the time, it's sort of a malcontent 16-year-old. I was um, an atheist and I had decided, screw religion, I don't need it, church is bad, all that kind of stuff. And then I kind of returned to faith, I guess, in my adult life. So my relationship with the song has certainly changed through the years. Are you ready to school us? I am. Roll it, Oliver. Muhammad, my friend. Let's start there. Who's Muhammad? Um, well, Muhammad is a prophet of Islam. And, well, it's all the same God, right? It's all the Abrahamic religion. Mm-hmm. So his God is her God. Yahweh, God, Allah, it's all its all the same God. So Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are the three Abrahamic religions. They all acknowledge the supreme existence of one male God. The difference is, I guess, at each point along the way, each of those three has sort of decided that the story stops at a certain point, and there's a, a disagreement oh. there. For people of the Jewish faith, they do not acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah, Mm. Um, For Christians, Jesus was the Messiah. That's kind of the end of the story. Muslims also, they view Jesus as a prophet, but not the Messiah. Muhammad was the final prophet who revealed the final piece of the puzzle of the truth, right? Mm -hmm. Because these three religions all have that belief in a single male supreme deity, which is unique to them. Most of the other world religions have multiple deities or goddesses. So it was important to her to have this conversation with Muhammad, who's obviously a huge part of the offshoot of this conversation. So it's definitely a sense of we're coming from the same place, even if we're taking different viewpoints of it, but we can at least have a conversation about this. It's time to tell the world We both know it was a girl um, I think I always sort of interpreted it as her trying to figure out what it would take to get her back into Christianity in a way that allows for total faith. And the only thing that would do it is if God sent his daughter and not his son, or God sent his daughter along with his son, so that it was not just this activity of trying to uncover or or make space in the cracks for divine femininity, but for that it to be understood and um, acknowledged and made powerful. If you recognize divine femininity, and if you don't, if you're not going to send your daughter, then I don't think that I can participate in this. My read on it has been At this point in the album, Tori is at a place of realizing that she needs to recover the hidden parts of woman, and that includes the female divine, right? Right. Or the female part of God that she's discussed a lot in interviews. So what if we go back to the time when that schism of male-female really occurred? And a lot of that is around the Jesus story, obviously, because that such a pivotal moment right. in her personal in her, belief yeah, system and yeah. in Christianity, it cements the fact that God, the Messiah, is a male. Right. And that also comes along with all the baggage of the way Christianity views and treats women in terms of the emphasis placed on virginity and the fact that Jesus would n- certainly never have, you know, sullied himself by being with a woman, anything like that. So what if we went back to that point in time? What if Jesus had been born a woman? 
Like, what would the world look like if we were not operating within a patriarchal system? And on that fateful day, when she was crucified. Yeah, I mean, this is just part of the fantasy, right? It's like, okay, well, what does a crucified prophetess rather than a prophet look like, right? She wore around and we drank tea by her side. Because if you're going to be dragged out into public, and executed, you might as well sort of, you know, you might as well look good. You might as well do your hair that day. Right, you might know. dress for the occasion, exactly. It would have been very dignified. It would have yeah. been very ladies drinking tea next to her. Yeah, it would have been a different crucifix <laughs> image. Oh, I love that. It seems like all else being equal, how would the story have played out if Jesus uh. was a woman? Sweet, sweet. She's talking about religion, like this story used to be so sweet to me, or Jesus, the idea of Jesus used to be so sweet to me. Yeah, and it's also, you know, religion offers so much solace, emotional solace, solace of community, solace of faith. But once you start thinking about it, it can lose that power for you. Like once you start sort of examining what the stories are saying, instead of just believing in them wholeheartedly, in a lot of ways, like the, the beauty of religion disappears because now you're like, okay, what is the story actually saying? You know, what is the story of Jesus actually saying? What is Adam and Eve saying? You know, do I have to think about the fact that it was Eve that took the apple from the serpent and that's why we got kicked out of the garden? Do I have to think about this stuff? I, guess, I mean, looking at the printed lyrics here, there's no you in you used to be so sweet to me. But I always hear you used to be so sweet to me when I listen to the album. That doesn't, I'm not, you know, implying that that's actually what she's saying. But uh-huh. what do you guys think? Is it just used to be so sweet to me or is there a you you used to be so I've, sweet. I've to never me heard you used no? to be. Okay. No, I'm going way off the rails then, because I always heard you used to be so sweet to me, <laughs> and was asking myself, who is she referring to in this dialogue? Is it Muhammad? I always went down that road and assumed she was talking to Jesus, and I was going way back to the way she used to talk about, you know, having a crush on Jesus right. as a kid and the kind of innocence and purity of that. It's funny because if I would have had to fill in the blanks, I would have filled in he used to be so sweet mm. to me like talking about him in the past tense rather than a direct address because that line seems to me as a private reflection. It's not, you know. I've never heard the you. For some reason, I always heard it, and I don't know, now I don't know where that from. <laughs> he, it, you, whatever. Mohammed, my friend, I'm getting very scared. Now we're back in reality, right? We're out of the fantasy. We're talking about fantasy but now we're gonna have to deal with how things actually are oh you're right there is a shift teach me how to love my brothers who don't know the law you are so right jessa yes because this is no longer the fantasy this is a very um human line it's very clear it's very she's not wrapped that up in any kind of dressing yeah and the brothers is really interesting it's not brothers and sisters it's not you know she's kind of handing the patriarchy back its crap right she's kind of pointing the fingers at the men in charge of having sort of um created the situations that we're now sort of in not sort of to make excuses for like um you know uh women's disempowerment but uh, at the same time it's just like no this is this is the world you created right right i love that because i see a different side of it where i see brothers being 
use as an all-inclusive word too. She's not saying my enemies, teach me how to love my enemies who don't. She's teach me how to love those that are like me that want not the good for me. Interesting. It had never occurred to me that in this, in verse two, we're kind of now back in reality. I love that. I'm going to have to sit with that for a second. But I guess where I've always gone with it is that she's still sort of following that narrative of Tori legitimately believes that there's work to be done and that it would behoove everyone to acknowledge that if there is a supreme being, it is probably not male or female. It's probably non-gendered or both. So in this case, is she saying it's the new law operating under that assumption and it's directed at the brothers, the men. How do we talk to these men who are unwilling or unable to acknowledge that uh, God is not a man and that they're not in charge? assuming that there's a female part of God. Yeah, and I think that with the use of the word law, what are the actual teachings, what are the actual rules set down by the Bible or any sort of religious text? It's about love. It's about fairness. It's about equality. It's about doing to others and et cetera, et cetera. Pacifism, mercy. And yeah, it's been used for power and control. Um, And so in some ways she's saying you guys misinterpreted um, the thing that you've been sort of preaching and the thing that you've been sort of um, using to control others. You don't even know what the what the book says. So when she talks about the genesis of this song and she tells, you know, the story about being in church on Christmas Eve and all of that, she also goes on to say, I found that of all people, I wanted to have a chat about it with Muhammad because the prophet is the one who supposedly knows the law. So from your perspective or with your background, can you talk to us a little bit about why it would be important for for Tori to talk to Muhammad specifically and what that dialogue would be for her? Yeah, I mean, so we don't really know who wrote the Bible, right? I mean, it happened over centuries. Even Genesis is believed to have multiple writers. So we don't know who wrote any of that. We know who wrote the Quran. It was Muhammad. He was the prophet. Um, So he was the one taking dictation. He was the one who wrote the law. And then people have been fighting over the meaning of it and the interpretation of it for centuries since then. But he's, he's the original source of it. So he knows the intention and the meaning behind what he was writing. It's everybody else that's been muddling and confusing things. Jessa, why... Do you have any thoughts on why it's placed here after Caudalite Sneeze? Yeah, I mean, I think it sort of um, is definitely a continuation of the sort of inana part of Caudalite Sneeze. That's the sort of first calling of the female goddess into the album. And then Muhammad, my friend, is like trying to find something more, trying to follow that thread back. The flying trapeze. So what about the I'm going to start leaning on you two real heavily now because <laughs> Jessa, you get one you get one free pass. Okay. What about the deal on the flying trapeze? Is that Circus Girl without a safety net <gasps> on the flying trapeze? Oh, interesting. Circus Girl, what let's go back to Mother. So she says Circus Girl without a safety net. She is that's a reference to her mm. that she's the Circus Girl without the safety net. So if she's referencing herself is this her? Is this in the first person? Yeah, I always assume so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah it, well, I think it's first person. I mean, I don't know if it, the deal line is, is, I think it's just kind of like, well, what about the deal of, well, what is it about this thing rather than a deal of them like an agreement? 
Um, but yeah, that's interesting. The the circus girl was at a safety net sort of callback. Um, but you know, they well, what is a flying trapeze? It's one person catching another person while flying through the air. Um, you're supposed to launch yourself at another person and hope that they catch you so you don't fall. There's like a trust. Yeah. But what if that trust is violated? Yeah. And what if that other person isn't really interested in catching you because of your, you know, race or gender or whatever? Um, then, then what about the, uh, what about that agreement that, that we had that you were going to catch me? That's so clear. I've never had that thought before. I just sort of like came up with it right now, but now I'm... That's what happens. It's because when you get sort of like in the world of it... And you're forced to really look at it. Yeah. Got a peanut butter hand. Got a peanut butter hand then, to me, is either a slippery hand or a sticky hand, which somehow corrupts the deal. If this flying trapeze is two people, you know, swinging towards each other, one person catching the other... Well, the peanut butter hand is going to fuck it up. You, it's all about your hands and the grip. So either the grip is going to be too sticky mm-hmm. and you're not going to be able to move properly, or it's going to you slide right off and it's not going to, you're not going to be able to catch each other. So what about the deal that we had? This partnership that we had. So I can certainly wrap my head around the imagery of one person catching the other and the idea of this trapeze. But what do you guys think the deal is? that she's referring to it's a it's trust it's this idea that we'll catch each other that we're we're brothers who is we i don't know um like left and right east and west Mm -hmm. (laughs) brother and sister what about Mm -hmm. the deal on the flying Mm -hmm. trapeze yeah i mean going back to kind of the law thing maybe it's also you know the law of christianity is that you're supposed to be there for your kin for your people and that, you know, in, in Christianity, everyone is your people. The whole world is supposed to be um, your family. You're supposed to take care of the poor. You're supposed to take care of everybody. So it's anybody who gets up there on, on, on the trapeze, whoever is flying and whoever is the catcher, the deal is you're supposed to catch. Right. Given the dialogue and sort of thesis statement of the song, I have to think that the deal being referred to is when, let's say, we all agreed to just acknowledge that God is a man. And if we do Mm. that, then everything will be in order. Mm -hmm. Everything will work out the way it should, in air quotes. And, you know, for for Christians, if you believe that Jesus was a man and that if you, you know, uh, believe that he died for your sins and you acknowledge that, then you'll go to heaven and everything's fine. So, like, that's the deal. We all agree to that, right? At least the three of us in these major religions, great. But what if there's something about her that renders her unable to take that deal or acknowledge that deal, at least in the long term. There's like a schism or a crack in her belief system that has rend- rendered her hand slippery. Right. And she or... can no longer she can no longer agree to that to acknowledge that mm. God is strictly male oh. or that there's no female part of God. I don't want to get too vulgar. Clutch your pearls. <laughs> the line got a peanut butter hand. I kind of maybe thought it was a reference to icicle. A sticky hand is how I always took that line, I guess. Peanut butter not being the... I don't... Yeah. It's don't, not like... Yeah, it's not... Yeah, peanut butter. Gross. But, I don't think you're necessarily off because that all that also takes me back to kind of was saying earlier about the way she talked about having a crush on Jesus as a little kid mm-hmm. and talked very openly about masturbating. So mm-hmm. maybe she's talking about, you know, kind of Jesus having a human aspect to himself and having a relation she's sexualizing jesus okay is what i'm trying to say what do you think jessa as drive all nights resident female yeah i can't imagine a world in which so anybody would use the metaphor of peanut butter for vaginal fluid like it, it doesn't yeah. 
it's a tough for me. See, this well, is why you're let's here. Let's hope not. But honey, do drop in, I do drop in. I kind of liked that um, the tour was called the Do Drop In Tour, you know, and and for this particular line, it's like, well, okay, so if you do drop from the trapeze, if nobody catches you, then where do you fall to? Um, oh. And in a way, it's, you know, Tori has spent a large part of her career sort of catching people who have fallen in some way and entertained them and sang to them and kept them company and allowed people to sort of meet each other. So she's created like this space of, um, of this kind of, you know, roadside cafe kind of um, Southern imagery. Piano bar. Yeah, the piano bar and, and just being like, okay, so we're all sort of, we've all fallen from the grace of God. But at least we have some good tunes and some coffee. and you know, oh, I love that. If you're on the trapeze and something goes wrong, you got a peanut butter hand, something goes wrong, you can't catch each other, and you're falling, at least you can fall into my safety net. Yeah. So the do drop in being the safety net for people, being the catch-all for the godless mm. or the, mm. the unlucky or the unchosen or the ones who weren't caught. This is the point where I sort of start to pull together threads of past songs or things I can remember Tori saying, and I'm kind of loving this idea of making Jesus human. We have this idea that God became flesh and walked amongst us to kind of bridge the gap between human and divine. That's the role that Jesus played. And she has talked about wanting to take Jesus and breathe the air into his lungs and have him feel the dirt under his nails. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've read these interviews and she's like, well, if Jesus was both fully human and fully divine, we seem to sort of ignore the fully human part. And part of that for me would be making sure that Jesus experienced all of that, whether that be not just sexual, but I can kind of see that maybe that's what she's talking about here. Like, I don't know. I feel like she's sexualizing Jesus. And I think, I don't know, I'm kind of loving that the dewdrop in is, if not her Virginia, as we've, um, <laughs> that it's like, let's go where we can, let's go where we can do this business, Jesus. Like, are you fully human or not? Let's go, let's go find out at the dewdrop in. Maybe This is all coming about... As we talk about this, this right. is not anything I've talked about before, just like you were saying, Jessa. So who knows? But I kind of love it. Um, why do you drop in? Just the alliteration of it? Oh, no. I mean, do drop in has been used, you know, for cafes and, and diners and that kind of stuff for, for a very long time. Um, I remember there was a John Cusack movie where there was like Demi Moore was playing acoustic guitar at a place called the do drop in. So it's just a very sort of common and I think particularly Southern name for uh for a place like you're right it is a sort of like a classic name yeah. for a for a club i looked up i you know i just googled do drop in and there's an old jazz club in new orleans she was you know mastering in new orleans. i don't know i wonder if that had anything i think that was an oft used play on words for a time but i have no doubt in my mind that especially if you asked her now tori would 100 percent take credit for coming up with that <laughs> and probably believe that she right. came up with it <laughs> i agree with that Sweet, 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 between the boys and the bees. Tori references bees a lot. Bees, um, this is where I know a little bit too much, are traditionally um, associated with goddesses for across a lot of different cultures. 
Um, I think because one of the reasons is because it's a queen bee, right? It's not a king bee or a king and a queen bee. It's a queen bee. Male bees and drones, they sort of, you know, take care of her and uh, and worship her in a, in a way. So for uh, in a lot of different cultures, the bee is a representation of the goddess. Um, and so I think that that might be it. I mean, between the boys and the bees, it's like you're between sort of um, the patriarchy with the boys, mm-hmm. um, or she is she's standing between the patriarchy with the boys, but then um, trying to get to like um, the queen, you know, the the goddess culture. Between the boys and the bees takes me to that extreme of you're either the virgin and the whore, and how do we marry those things? There, you know, how do we have our sexuality but acknowledge that it's sacred and that there's nothing to be avoided. And there's no shame involved in that. So how do we get to that in-between place in the middle? And again, it's sort of that marriage of opposites or undoing that schism. Between the boys and the bees is very sexual. It recalls birds and the bees. Later in her career, she goes on to reference the beekeeper as sort of a metaphor for death. Is this also between childhood Mm -hmm. boys and life and death? Okay, talk to us about Moses. Uh, yeah, um, Moses is a prophet of uh, Judaism. He is the liberator, and uh, he's the one who speaks to God and, and gets the law from him. And um, so, in some ways, he's kind of you know he's similar to Muhammad and what he's doing. Um, and uh, the fire is I, I, I always assumed is the um, the burning bush through which God spoke to Moses. Yeah. So basically, she's saying, like, your fire is great, but Pele's is greater. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, your little bush that's on fire is nice, but we have a volcano, so. You ain't seen nothing right. compared to this <laughs> goddess energy that I'm packing. Right. Oh, great. Okay, I love it. Okay. The other thing about the, the fire thing is that um, in the Moses story, the fire does not consume the bush, and that's how he knows it's sacred, and a volcano is entirely destructive. So in some ways, it's, oh. it's almost like a calling out of, like, the difference in the force, but also like a kind of like you couldn't even burn that little bush down. <laughs> okay, I got my thoughts on this that I've had for 22 years. This is the one line I'm sure of. It's a play on words, but I sure have seen gold because she's a gold selling artist at this point. I'm not even joking. When she's, she's giving herself it, props there for her yeah. record sales. No, I think that she's making a play on words. Like mm. I haven't seen light, but I sure have seen gold. Mm. Um, yeah, the glitter, the glam. Yeah, the... I totally, I totally agree. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Timmy for Ninjessa. <laughs> what do you think, David? No, that's interesting. I would, I, I guess my interpretation would be, even though I was, I was brought up in this tradition and as much as I know about this religion, I've never seen, I've never seen the light. I've never felt like I needed to be saved. I've never seen the light of Jesus the way that the church had intended, I guess, but I've certainly seen a lot of religious institutions who are willing to use that idea to raise money (laughs) or collect money from people. Okay, interesting. I see that. I can see why. Yeah, that is interesting. Wouldn't it have been better if she said, I sure have seen platinum? But she hadn't at this point. (laughs) Yeah, sure she had. No, because I was looking at SoundScan. Little Earthquakes was certified double platinum, but not until 99. 
Under the Pink was certified as double platinum, and again, also not till 99. So, so maybe platinum is something she wants to see, but maybe gold is something she sure has seen. But it would have been nice and aspirational for her anyway. Like, why are you selling yourself <laughs> right. short, Tori? Gold. Yeah, triple why not platinum or diamond. <laughs> right. but... I sure have seen diamond. And glad to save a place for me on your grapevine till I get my own on a TV show. Yeah, the TV show line. <laughs> Well, I guess that sort of makes sense with the the gold records thing of like, you know, she's she's getting famous, she's selling records, you know, this is that's the sort of end of fame um in our culture is you eventually get, you know, your own T V show. Um, so maybe it's just kind of um just kind of that. Gladys Knight, right? Are we talking? Yeah, it's yeah, I assume it's I assume it's Gladys Knight. Gladys saved me a place might be like let me be let me be here in the musical space until until fame takes over. Right. So we have a quote where Tori says, Gladys, Gladys Knight, I had to bring Gladys in because she's a bit of a goddess. So I'm wondering if maybe this is, this little segment here is sort of a cautionary moment directed back at Tori herself. Like, what if I sort of establish my own religion or belief system based on a goddess or a female deity, but ultimately I'm subject to the same corruption that all of the other formalized religions have experienced over time. And that's sort of piggybacking off of the gold collecting money reference until I get my own honey TV show. What if I found this amazing new religion based on female goddess power, but ultimately I just become a televangelist and I'm corrupted by that power the same way all these other religions have been if I'm not too. Yeah, no, I love that. I had never thought about that, but I love that. I really like that she's sort of praying to Gladys Knight that this is this sort of new version of a goddess. Here we had the queen bee before. We have the Pele, the reference to Pele, the volcano goddess. And now we have another goddess. Anyone? (laughs) Shout out to Delaney Drawhorn's dog, Asher Ray. What a cutie. But Um, Well, Asher Ray is the wife of God and sort of foundational... Uh, Jewish texts. Um, that's the name of um, Yahweh's wife. Really? Um, who was written out. And I loved when she would perform it live, like the way that she would sing Asherah's name, like an incantation or like a, you know, like a real sort of crying out for her of yeah. like, well, where did you, where did you go? <laughs> um, and just trying to like reestablish her in the conversation and acknowledge that she existed. Yeah. I love that. Sign seal delivered. <laughs> Um, so tell us more about Asherah being written out. What does that mean? Right. So she's not sort of acknowledged in the original Bible. And every once in a while, like, she's rediscovered. It's so funny. So I remember, like, two years ago, there was some sort of big article about, oh, Yahweh had a wife, had a, had a there was a goddess part of, of the Jewish tradition. And everyone's like, yeah, <laughs> like, Tori almost sort of thought about it 20 years ago. This is the news. Um <laughs> But it is like this sort of um, this thing that people keep forgetting somehow. Um, but she really was sort of written out when they were sort of constructing the Bible. Is this the equivalent of like a Mary Magdalene? Um, Mary Magdalene was like a, was like a real person, right? But uh, and that's the thing is like Yahweh even acknowledges sort of in the in the text itself that there are other gods and goddesses. Um, but you should not pay attention to them. You should only pay attention to him, that he's a jealous God, right? So for some reason, people have taken that to mean that there's only one God. But oh. really, in the, in the text and in the context of uh, the society, Yahweh was just one of many gods. Um, it just became uh, the sort of dominant God. 
And so then when they were sort of uh, selecting what goes into the Torah and then what goes into the Bible, they cut anything, any mentions of Asherah or sort of any of the other gods that were being worshipped at the time to focus the story solely on, on the one god. Wow. I love the idea that she's just sort of calling her back and like inserting her in the story because those lines are just almost just inserted. I think that is a lot more interesting and rich than where I had been sitting with that line for 22 years. But there's a reason. This is from March 1996. So it was very early on in terms of when the album was released. So it obviously informed how I'd interpreted this line. So in 96, March of 96, Tori was doing a radio appearance and a fan actually asked Tori what the term Asherah meant. And Tori replied, roughly, it's Hebrew for we are one. So regardless of whether or not that's true, I think Tori believes that, or that was at least partly her intention mm-hmm. when she mm-hmm. included it in the song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I looked up Asheray years ago and found the definition, the blessed. I guess that's a variation of We Are One, right? The photos my Craig and Jack's in the tidal wave. I got a place in the boat, rubber rub. Okay, I guess what I think the line means is if I lose my Cracker Jacks, like if I lose my marbles... At the big heave-ho, when it comes down to it, if I lose my mind, I got a place in the Pope's rubber robe. The rubber robe recalls to me a padded room. And if I lose my mind, I'll always have religion to go back to. There's always a home for me, a mindless sheep, in the Christian faith. (laughs) To me, it feels like I'm right. (laughs) It usually feels like I'm right, though. What do you think, Jessa? You're the the religion expert. I have a slightly different take on it, although it's pretty similar. Um... If I lose my cracker jack, because I, if, if I place my bet on that this religion is wrong, and so then you're kind of like in this in this weedy territory of, you know, kind of excommunication, and you, you fall out of the grace of God, and you fall out of the religion and the community part of it, um, at the tidal wave, you know, at death, at the moment of death. I love that. Um, this subsuming um, thing, then at least she's, you know, she's been baptized, <laughs> Um, she grew up in the church, so she has she's she's within the sort of protection of um, the Pope's rubber robe, which would would repel the water and and bring her salvation. You know, she still has the protection of um, she kind of ticked off all the things that she needs to make it into heaven. You know, she's she's gonna she'll be okay even if she's wrong on this particular issue. I love that. There's a lot of comfort in religion, especially when life seems complicated and difficult. It's like, if I just make it real simple for me, if I just believe the things and do the things that are on this list, everything's going to be okay. And I'll at least go to heaven when I die. Right. So I think you're, I think you're on the money with that. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't need to question anything. In fact, it's easier if I don't. Just tell me that I, you know, if I believe all of this, then I'll just get into heaven. So. Mohammed, my friend, it's time to tell them. We both know it was a girl back in Bethlehem. Now we're, now we're repeating the first few lines. So we've come full circle. Um, yeah, maybe back into maybe the fantasy a little bit, but also, you know, she's done the kind of like searching for the goddess energy and maybe she's found it. Um you know, maybe she kind of has it in hand, even if it's not uh, directly in um, in the story of uh, Christianity. I love it. I love that she has it in hand as she enters Hey Jupiter, where she, mm-hmm. the character, I guess, can never look at the world the same way after this. 
In terms of the the goddess energy arriving, so to speak, do we think Asheray is a pivotal moment? I kind of feel it seems like a moment of jubilation, like a Hosanna mm. kind of exclamation, but yeah. it's but it's we are one. So is that when the female is recovered or the male and female are joined, and then also kind of like the sassy sax comes in at that point and it's playful, but also there's kind of a moment of triumph there. I don't know. My thoughts on the sax coming in at that moment, whoever she's evoking or calling forth, it's their response. The sax comes in so, it's not subtle, and it comes in right at that moment only. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That I feel like it's a call and a response. What do you think, Jessa? Yeah, I mean, I really like the sort of idea of the call and response that the her call to Asherah is answered in that moment. I think that's a really kind of, um, I think that's a really lovely idea. Um, what's your favorite lyrical moment, Jessa? Um, I really love uh, the Asheray bit, and um, I've always sort of just loved the uh, the imagery of the the feminine crucifixion, the mm. the sort of shishada red and the and the and the tea drinking. I always those are probably my two favorites. Yeah, I have to agree with with all of that, including you know the very basic. We both know it was a girl at the time. As sixteen year old me, I feel like. This was kind of the first time I encountered someone asking those questions. And I came from a a conservative religious upbringing, too. So this was kind of like lightning from the sky to me. Just even like the playfulness and the way that was delivered sort of took the weight out of it for me. And just sort of like a lot of Tori's music changed the way I thought or the way I knew one could think about the world. Right. Right. I think this song is poetic. And my favorite line will always be. Uh, teach me how to love my brothers who don't know the law Mm. because it's so honest and it's so um, it implies too that I'm not perfect. Like I need to learn how to have tolerance for those who think differently than me as well. Tori's rarely, uh, rarely lays her cards out on the table in such (laughs) honest English from, you know, a sentence that has a period at the end. She's usually so (laughs) shrouded in metaphor and I really appreciate a moment where she just says it clearly like this. Uh, well, we're we are now, I think, honorary religion experts, and we know all about women. I feel I think we've learned a lot about women today. I'm glad I glad I could bestow that. Yeah. What is one thing about women that we don't know, Jessa? Um, that we would never compare our vaginal fluid to peanut butter. <laughs> uh, I think that's an important lesson to take from that. Okay, good. Let that be heard around the world, all of our listeners. Don't you dare. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Jessa Crispin. You can find her online at jessacrispin.com. Of course, we'll link to it in our show notes. And follow her podcast, Public Intellectual. Where can they find that, Jessa? Um, There's a link at jessacrispin.com, or it's uh, with the Forever Dog um, Podcast Network. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll talk to you again for sure. Bye. Boys for Pele. Boys for Pele. Boys for Pele. Baby. So Muhammad, my friend, is funny, lighthearted, but serious and kind of contemplative and a good way of quantifying it for me is whereas crucify is the much more interpersonal criticism of what Christianity can do to an individual, Muhammad, my friend, is the view of Christianity in a larger scope beyond the self, looking at the entire concept of femininity and duality kind of in history and looking at all of Abrahamic religion and criticizing its lack of femininity. In a way, that kind of aha moment, I feel, needs to come after the super volatile nature of Cotillite Sneeze, where she gets to kind of pop off in her own right, and then to then look back at that and quantify the, the volcanic eruption of Pele, like the theory of this internally suppressed woman, more than rivals that of the burning bush. 
to be able to understand just the raw power that exists in femininity. And then an album that is becoming increasingly Alice in Wonderlandy, where we're getting to meet and like sit down with all these strange individuals. It seems a pretty fitting time to sit down with Muhammad and chat religion. And a fun little aside, when I first used to hear this song, when she says, War Shusaitl Red, I used to think she was saying, War Yves Saint Laurent. So I love the song because it always makes me get to picture a really pretty, feminine, and bougie Jesus. Posted to RMTA, February 18th, 1996. Muhammad, my friend. Beautiful song, but the guy's an a-hole. I knew him. In fact, I had a big, big crush on the egotistical, greasy-haired guitar player in high school. I was friends, close and secure, with his awkward sister back then. She was so glamorous and spoiled bratish, rich yet dumb. Back then she was purely sticks, anorexic and geeky. We clung to each other to survive the crowd and masses for support. Now she tosses me aside like her monkey for her beautiful sexy boys want to fuck me style. A slap in the chest across the sore spots that don't pleasure but nag and nag like old cows gone numb. And like the old tale, they are the treasured teasing virgins and I am the desperate you slut appearance love sucking vampire scorned by light. <sighs> the guy who saved me in London from falling apart. His name was Muhammad. I know a lot about Islam since I've been close to people who were devotedly Islamic. I find the song Muhammad, my friend, to be really touching in a non-painful way. I'm sort of interested in Buddhism myself. all year, our private podcast exclusively for Patreon supporters at the $5 level and up. In our last episode, we sat down with Dor Dotson, one of our nearest and dearest. Chances are, if you've been to a Tori Amos show, you've seen Dor. She's been touring since the 90s, and she sat down with us to tell us some of her favorite and not-so-favorite tour stories. It's February 2018, and this is Tour All Year. As God is my witness, she looked me in the eye with the hellfire of 10,000, I don't know what, and flipped the bird. Like, I'm not 12. Like, I know she's not flipping me off. That, that, there's no, I've not done anything to piss her off. Like, why would Tori Amos flip me off at a show, right? But uh, by the same token, there she is flipping me off. For immediate access to this and other exclusive content, head over to patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos and become a subscriber today.
Of course, that was a cover by the one and only Yanta. You can find him on patreon.com slash Yanta. The closest I think we'll ever get to <laughs> Tori Instrumentals. Yep, Yanta our friend. Yanta our friend. <laughs> Go to his page, support him, get the MP3, and take it to your local karaoke bar. And say, just, no, 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 just play my version. I don't need the lyrics. Thanks. Who doesn't want to perform Muhammad, my friend, at a bachelor party? <laughs> exactly. You're right. Let's talk musical moments. Let's do it. That song, just musically, and especially hearing now Yanta's cover, is so warm. Mm. There's something so... Just the playing is fantastic. It's just a warm song. It doesn't have a lot of bells and whistles. Just a sax and a bass. It's a comforting song. Just the piano playing is very Mm -hmm. comforting. What's your favorite musical moment? You know, I love the instrumental intro. And that's one of the things that cements the first three albums as a trilogy for me you know there on all three of those albums there's there's a track at about the same point with an extended instrumental intro and the song itself is also basically just piano and vocal we had mother track nine icicle track nine and muhammad my friend close so close i mean track that, eight but it's the ninth song if you count yeah. beauty queen as its own that's song. true thank you that is true you know, I always go back to sort of the intimacy of Pele and how present we as the listener are in the performance. And on that note, I love the hand knocking mm-hmm. that we can hear on the piano yeah. or the or the fallboard that's so subtle, but right. it just really, again, puts you in that moment in that performance with Tori. Agreed. I think my favorite musical moment is the hand knocking. Mm-hmm. And when you get to see her on something like Letterman, which we'll get to in a minute, like it's all you need. You know what I mean? You don't need a rhythm section. You just need this one knock. Mm-hmm. It brings it to life. You know, like, And she creates so much texture with so little, yes, let's say. Yes, very well said. It was great. Mm. Um, we did try to get, um, well, I mean, we tried to get a lot of people for this episode, um, n- not the least of which was Maynard from Tool. Uh, still hasn't emailed me back. I'm sure it's coming. I'm sure, you know. Um, but of course, we did try to get Clarence J. Johnson the third, saxophone player and saxophone teacher. So hopefully he'll email me soon so we can at least get him on the wrap-up episode of Boys for Pele. I took piano lessons for quite a long time as a kid. And there, of course, came a period where all I wanted to do was talk about Tori, Tori. and learn how to play Tori songs and talk to my piano teacher about Tori. And she <laughs> was more than willing to do that. Wow. Um, I bet it's great for a piano teacher to have someone like Tori influence your student because then they become all about piano. I took my piano teacher to one of the Do Drop-In shows. Shut up. 100% happened. Um, And my piano career was derailed because... I was probably like the oldest student she had at the time. And she was, she had recently graduated from college, I think. So I think she had fun talking to me. And I obviously related to her in a way that little kids didn't. So before I knew it, my lessons became about talking about life and Tori. Uh The point is I introduced her to Tori and not like she became a fan or anything, but I think she really appreciated her and the music. And one of the things I remember her saying is each, as it pertained to Pele, I think, and maybe under the pink too, each one of these songs has a very distinct sound and identity and i could hear it once and tell you what it sounded like or what was unique about it even though it's only for the most part piano and vocal and i thought that was such an interesting so true though um an interesting piece of input from someone who was trained right as a pianist to say like someone is actually like sort of pushing what the piano is capable of and not only using it in in a unique way but her composing each of these songs has a very unique identity, even though it's just maybe piano and vocal, and it's that's so what, sparse. But. That's what's so frustrating to me when people are like, oh, all her songs sound alike. It's like, are you crazy? 
if you listen for a goddamn second, you're never going <laughs> to mix Muhammad, my friend, up with like putting the damage on yeah. or hey, Jupiter. Like, crazy. You're crazy. Yeah. And we talk about Boys for Pele being a departure, but we're like, how did she create this work that's a departure? And it's so sparse. Like, all the yeah. arrangements are so sparse. Yeah. Like, for the most part, it's all piano or all harpsichord, subtle, which tin, is so funny. Bass, whatever. Because she's had the more musicians on this record than in any other record. But it does feel so. It's texture, though. Yeah, it feels yeah. so textured, I was about to say. Um, I love this song. I'm on board. Team Peanut Butter. <laughs> this is Hugo with an instrumental cover of Muhammad, My Friend. You can, of course, find it on our show notes page at songsoftoriamus.com. David, I need you to do me a favor, actually. Can you go back to Bentley Helms? <laughs> I left my jacket there. Don't mess with me. I'm from Bentley Helms. Guess we have on the line. You're never going to guess who. Tell me. We have Alexander Leger Small, who I got to meet on tour. He's a lovely, tall gentleman, and he is a super fan <sighs> of... Guess what song? Guess. It's um, easy. It's actually really easy. Mary? Nope. Nope. Oh, okay. Try again. Try again. It's really easy. It's <laughs> so, Muhammad, my friend. Uh, Hi, Alexander. Hello. How are you? Hi. I'm fantastic. I'm just so happy and honored to be here. Oh, we're so happy to have you. Alexander on tour is one of the most, uh, he's got some of the best energy I met all tour. You're great. So first of all, I want to get into how you discovered Tori. Tell us your Tori story. So I have a pretty cool mom. And when we got our first CD player, it was a five disc changer. She went to like Sam Goody and bought five CDs and they were all we had in the house for like two years. And one of them was Little Earthquakes. And I was like seven and it just played all the time. And so I was instantly a Tory fan from childhood. And then my mom went on the Under the Pink tour and got to see her in Virginia. And then when my sister got old enough, she got to go on Do Drop In. And I hate her to to this day for that. And then I saw Tory for the first time on Plug 98 when... I was finally old enough to get to go see a concert. So you've been a fan from forever then? Forever, yeah. Since you were a baby? Just just a wee one. I guess it would start with, with Choir Girl. Like That was the first time she was releasing an album as me being a fan that I wasn't going back to. Uh, so the excitement for that was, was just super real. Well, so that's interesting that you put Choir Girl as sort of like a benchmark 
but you're a super fan of Muhammad, my friend. I am. What about this song drew you in? There's so many reasons to love this song. Um, first of all, I feel like it's kind of an underdog on Pele. Everything up till now on the album has been like a fan favorite. They're wonderful songs that everyone can agree that they love. And then you get to Mohammed, my friend, and it's weird. It's mid-tempo. It has that intro and then the saxophone. And it's just, it's a very different piece from what we've heard on the album until now. So the listeners don't know that I had originally requested to be on the Piano Suite episode because some of my favorite Tori moments are when it feels like she's composing rather than writing a song, if that makes sense, like where it's just her and the piano and she's writing something that verges more towards classical. And Mohammed, my friend, starts with that intro that it could be from Under the Pink. Like, it sounds very similar. And I feel like she reached back for it in some ways. And she gives it a lot of time on the track as well. I think it's like, a good 45, 50 seconds, and it's not a very long track. So so it meant something to her in terms of the song, and I really love that. I love that. And you also, you see Muhammad, my friend, standing in the corner, and no one's asking her to the dance. So you you sweep in and take her hand. And you're like, <laughs> exactly. Can I give her some attention? Exactly. She needs some love. Yeah. Um, you're, I love that because she doesn't do that so much anymore, which is put these long intros, these just instrumental moments at the beginning of tracks. And I think maybe this is one of the last times she did that, right? Yeah. Uh, but it is such a great a great part of the song that we often forget is part of the song because when she plays it live, she doesn't do that whole intro. Which is a, such a disappointment. Has she ever done it? I mean, I figured you'd know. If she I don't think so. No, she's never done the, the intro live. Never. That's disappointing. That's going to be my request for next tour. Do it. That, I would love to see that. I would love to see that. So, okay. You love the intro. What about the song? What What is your favorite lyrical moment? I was thinking about this. In fact, why don't you explain the lyrics to us? <laughs> uh, so I have some ideas. Um, it's obviously a very religious song. And she goes to... She like touches all of the Abrahamic religions. She's got Moses. She's got Muhammad. She's talking about Christ on the cross, even if she's turning that into a woman. But then it goes out even further and it connects back into Cotolite Sneeze, where she's calling down Inanna. Mm. Like or whoever. She's got uh she's got Pele now. She's got Gladys Knight in this weird kind of modern celebrity worship energy that you would be focusing on a godhead being transferred to celebrity and and that's something that she's trying to touch and emulate in the song um but favorite line has to be moses i know i know you've seen fire but you've never seen fire until you've seen pele blow tell me why like tell me what that that means to you it's, uh it's a can you believe this out it's a fuck you it's like you think you know things guys but you don't know anything until the woman shows you like you think you can get mad, but I can get so much matter. I can explode more than any fire that you can produce. And your favorite musical moment is uh, the intro. Possibly the saxophone though. Oh, the sa- Okay. Tell us what the saxophone means to you. Cause we came up with an, our idea, but what is, what does the saxophone mean to you? Um, there's something about 
a song that's a little jazzy already to me after she gets out of the intro, but then she puts in the saxophone and it's like, it gives it a little bit of a, a swagger and, and there's something a little like, yeah, yeah, and yeah about it, like <laughs> taunting and playful. Have you seen this live? Have you ever had? I have not. Oh. Absolutely love to, though. It's, it's high on my list. You'd request it? With the intro? Uh, I mean, I will for the next tour. I didn't start requesting songs until, until this last tour. I've been a shy fan until recently. Oh. How has your relationship with the song changed over time? <laughs> um, well, I, would, I think I became a super fan for the song late, like maybe within the, the past five or six years. Like it was, it was something I enjoyed and, and listened to and, and went through on my way to like the darker parts of Pele. But I think... And I, I can't really say that it came out of the like cultural awareness from September 11th that came with like an opening of the Muslim world for American people and needing to learn about it, but it probably did in some respect. And then, yeah, the the saxophone just hooked me later in life. And it, whenever it plays in the song, I do a little wiggle and it, it's become a happy place. <laughs> Can you tell us what a peanut butter hand is and if you've ever had one? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have probably had one. I'm not going to lie about it. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's something a little, a little naughty. I can't, I can't get into the details. That's what I said. <laughs> but it, it seems a little, uh, we'll say, PG-13 and above. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, as the superfan, as the official superfan of Muhammad, my friend, please explain to us, if I lose my Cracker Jacks at the tidal wave, I got a place in the Pope's rubber robe. Lose my Cracker Jacks feels like a euphemism for vomiting. Uh, like, toss your cookies, lose your Cracker Jacks. I, I feel a connection there. The tidal waves... Is it like waves of sands? Is it like the onslaught of of stardom? Like I can't say. The Pope's rubber robe again feels PG thirteen plus. Like there's something a little S and M about it. There's there's something that makes me think of Hellraiser for some reason. Like something long and black and but also a uh, a place of protection. Like. She's going to get sick from all of this stress, but she can go to this place and hide and like take a minute there and come back to herself. You're speaking my language with Hellraiser. Are you a horror gay? I'm a huge nerd. I write uh, science fiction and fantasy. I'm, I love horror films, like comic books. I, I'm your guy. Um, Alexander is a writer and a beauty who hails from Massachusetts. His work has been published in various print and online journals, and you can find him at alexanderlegesmall.com. Uh, and we'll, of course, link to that in our show notes. Uh, so you can check out all his work there. Alexander, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for talking to us today. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, I want to come back for every show. Okay. Let's see <laughs> I mean, horror gaze, horror trinity. <laughs> Of course, that was only a small part of a longer interview. You can hear the entire interview by subscribing to us on Patreon. Every patron supporter at every level gets access to our entire archive of unedited interviews, and they're always fascinating. We only interview cool people. Here's the Vitamin String Quartet with Muhammad, my friend. (laughs) 
We've made it to my favorite section. We try to make the live section of the show like a fireside. Let's light some sage. Let's start with some promo performance. Okay. Why don't you take the audience through Tori's early history of performing this song? The first performance we have of this song is from January 25th at the Two Meter Assessies. Two Meter Assessies. And there's a video. So whenever we get around to our video portions, you'll see what she looked like. You know what Tori looks like, though. Imagine. <laughs> Close your eyes. Mohammed, my friend, it's time to tell the world. We both know it was a girl back in Bethlehem. And on that fateful day when she was crucified, she wore your seed all red and we drank tea by her side. Sweet, sweet. Our next performance, now I have a problem with this. This is from February 5th, 1996 in New York City with WNEU. Here we go. You said you're taking requests, so um, for sure, you, you want requests from our audience here? They've given me some requests. You got more? Okay. All right. Um, what are we going to have? <laughs> We have Tori Amos live on NEW, live studio audience, contemplating your requests. Mohammed, my friend, it's time to tell the world. We both know it was a girl. But oh, I'm sorry, I started in the wrong key. I never do that. Hang on a minute. Funny, isn't it? Okay, see, it happens to all of us. start in the wrong key eve we've been doing this entire episode in the wrong key i meant to do to it in a minor over. key i meant to do it in a major key so we'd get more exposure <laughs> i wanted to get more radio play but i did not like that woman interrupting her because that's i think what set tori off in the wrong key because that woman just started talking that woman has to know that piano players don't tune right, right. tori's like messing around on the low end and she's like well I'll just talk here i'll just talk she here gets right? stuff together like she's tuning right april 8th 1996, Tori performed this song for David Letterman's audience. Here we go. Mohammed, my friend, it's time to tell the world. We both know it was a girl back in Bethlehem. And on that fateful day, when she was crucified, she wore a sado red, and we drank tea by her side. Mohammed, my friend, 
I'm getting very scared Teach me how to love My brothers who don't know the law And what about the deal On the flying trap He's got a peanut butter hand But honey, do drop in Do drop in What the hell do you have to say for herself, David? <laughs> well, let's talk about the bodysuit first. Okay. <laughs> Why do you suppose she walks out? He says, Tori Amos, and then she walks out. Mm -hmm. She would do that sometimes. A couple times she did, yeah. yeah. Is it because the song is so short and she has like four minutes to fill, but it's only 320? I think because it was just her and it wasn't a very showy performance. It was just creating more of a moment by having her oh. walk out as opposed to like, let's turn it over to Tori on the bench and having her kind of awkwardly Dark. launch into a song that it sort of creates a space that for makes, her to walk okay. into. I, I like yours better. I don't know. <laughs> or she just wanted to show off her, her alphate by walking out onto the stage. You know what? Oh, too soon? If you do like, not watch that mouth, I'm going to send you back to Bentley Hills. <laughs> let's go straight into the live section. I'm ready. The promo I like to think is a precursor to the live section. So hit me with our, let's talk live and you start for once in your goddamn life. So much like with Marianne, Tori had a story that she liked to tell when introducing the song. Muhammad. You may remember. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> the way we all do on Christmas Eve. Right, right. When we're with our parents. <laughs> the way Tori tells the story to me, she is really saying that the melody, not just the story of Away in a Manger, but the melody itself of Away in a Manger gave birth to the beginning of Muhammad, my friend. And we also have a print interview where the journalist says Tori told him a version of the story essentially, and then goes on to sing Away in a Manger back to back with Muhammad, my friend, as she did live. And then in parentheses, the first few notes of which or the first three notes are the same. And I just don't hear it and i would love for someone who maybe has a more sophisticated ear or musical training to point out to me where the overlap is because the way the story is told it's away in a manger muhammad my friend and to me it would be like muhammad my friend no <laughs> like, you're getting it all wrong away in a manger it's time to tell the world that's how yeah uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Everybody knows that's how that song goes. And I feel like one could do that with pretty much any song. Really? And then be like, see? See what I did there? <laughs> Away in a main... We are a part of the rhythm nation. <laughs> like, you're with I me in that it, moment. Though. I did. Yeah, yeah. I totally sonically see what you did there. Mm -hmm. She played 25 times on the G-Drop-In tour. 25 very times. Very rare. Yeah, very rare for 185 shows. Here is... One that I really like. This is from September 22nd in Green Bay. She has a cute little improv before where she kind of mixes it up with a little Christmas-y thing. Too.
the boy know it was a girl back in Bethlehem. That was the only time she did Muhammad, my friend, that I could find on this tour without the story, the uh, Way in a Manger story. So I, I think that's very special. And it is clearly connected somehow to Christmas because she throws in God Rest You Merry oh, Gentlemen. Oh, for sure, yeah. So, but I love that. I love that cute little like thing. A very notable performance occurred on January 23rd, 1997, one year after Boys for Pele came out. She performed a benefit concert for Rain, and she performed that with a certain someone. Let's let the extant performance speak, speak for, for itself. But honey, do drop in at the do drop in. I said, a sweet, 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 sweet. Between the boys and the bees, sweet, 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 sweet. Between the boys and the bees. Yes, Maynard. Maynard from Tool. I love that. I was reading some tool boards earlier thinking like, should we get a tool fan on here to talk about it? But they were like, oh, we love his voice in this. I wish the stupid audience wouldn't be cheering so loudly when he starts singing. That was a very lively audience. Yeah. They knew it was their moment. They were on camera. They yeah. tried to steal yeah. the show. And this performance is notable because she, when she does a duet with a man, there's only been two other times that I can think of. Trent Reznor supporting her on Passive Mission. It's not really a duet. And Damien Rice on The Power of Orange Knickers she doesn't let them take stage. She takes the stage and they support. Mm -hmm. But here he took the stage and even the look on her face as he does take the yep. stage and she like bends back from yep. the piano, like take it girl. Yeah, I do love that. I he love gets that. super into when she's like, all right, I'm just going to let him run with He's this. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So overall she did it 25 times in 1996. You want to go into 1998? I'm already there. Oh my God. I got to catch up. I feel plugged. She did it eight times. And here is the first time she did it with the new band arrangement on October 13th in Jacksonville. And there's some additional lyrics.
Bentley Helms, is that what you said? Bentley Helms. Bentley Helms. Here's another intro from 98. This is in Baltimore, October 17th, 1998. I love this intro. I love this intro, so here's another one from Nashville, October 21st, 1998, with a little uh, tidbit before the performance. So um, when this song came out, it was a bit odd because um, basically Israel kind of told me that um, I really shouldn't come there because I wrote the song. So we had to like have a long chat on radio and everything about it because um, they missed the boat. But anyway... This house. Inside this house. There's plenty of girl to go around. <laughs> I love 98, Muhammad. No? You're not yeah. You're not feeling it? No, I, I'm betting that she wished she'd had figured out that arrangement way earlier on, and I'll bet we would have gotten a lot more of it. Yeah. But it's like as soon as she figured it out, I'm playing it at every show right. until the end of the tour. Oh, good. I honestly believe she forgets certain songs exist. Yeah, and then of course. she's like, oh, right, I should definitely play that. I mean, such a good arrangement, but it peaked for me in Akron, Ohio, November 28th, 1998, one of the best shows of life. Oliver, roll Bentley Helms.
then she dropped this song. Then she forgot it existed, like you said. 99, 01, didn't play it at all. 02, didn't play it at all. And it wasn't until a lot of pianos, I have a story about. The first time she did Muhammad, My Friend on the Lot of Pianos tour. You ready? Mm-hmm. Word started to circulate that she was filming the last show for a DVD. Okay, great. And the night before, and as far as I know, there's still no bootleg of it. Well, we were sitting front row. I was sitting next to door, and she played Take to the Sky. And back in the day, she would, do, she would throw in I Feel the Earth Move, right? And we would jump up because we'd, fe- we'd feel the earth move under our feet. And we would jump up and we'd just like dance. And, you know, it was just fun. It was fun. It was what you did back in the day. So she's playing Take to the Sky. She's got her eyes on us. She's smiling like a ham. And we are in the front row getting ready. You know, we I put my bag under the chair. Like, you know, I've cl- cleared my feet space. I'm getting ready to jump Stretched. Up. Right. Like, yeah. Did some lunges. Uh, right. I'm like... <laughs> ready to feel my feel my earth move. And we're right where she would be, go into, I feel the earth. I wish there was a bootleg, but there's not. Instead, it was Muhammad. My, but we had already jumped up. And we were stunned into stillness. So if you were not sitting in the front row, you were just looking at us assholes, you saw a bunch of people jump up and then like not move at all for a good like <laughs> 10 seconds. And we just were like looking at each other like, what the fuck? As it registered, she's playing Muhammad, my friend. And then we started screaming, of course. And she's laughing. Like, I mean, she's got this biggest smile on her face. Like, gotcha. And it was gotcha, one of my favorite. <laughs> mo- right. Right. Exactly. It was one of my favorite moments from all of tour like probably my top 10 moments i can't believe there's not a bootleg i can't either can hear it, i'll bet you there's a slight pause when she gets to i feel my huh yeah made I my friend yeah, like, yeah. what she got us how do these two things i don't get it either fit together let's play september 4th the next night in west palm beach where she did it for the dvd and it was basically the same it was longer on the dvd than it was the night before in orlando so here it is because it's time it's time it's time it's time
get it either. I don't get it. It, it doesn't even sound to me like it's in the same key. <laughs> but I love that version of Muhammad. If my you friends. don't like my lady Jesus, sit down. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know what else I don't like? Paying royalties to Carol King. Well, that's the reason. So... Yes. <laughs> that's the exact reason. Thank, thank you. Um, 2005, she did it twice. One time on Original Sensuality and one time on Summer of Sin. And I want to play the one from Summer of Sin. You ready? Okay. This is from the 5th of September in Morrison, Colorado, a.k.a. Denver. Ready? She did that intro twice. So, so both times that she did in 2005, she did it with that mm. a very similar intro. So she was making a choice there. And to me, it sounds like father figure. It sounds like how she performed father figure in 05. Let's play a little father figure so you can kind of compare the two. Okay. sounds to me like echoes of father figure yeah interesting that this song is relatively rare but whenever she does perform it it's a real moment Mm -hmm. and she adds an improv or a new arrangement or it becomes kind of um a centerpiece of whatever show that it's performed at yeah she goes on to forget it for the next five years (laughs) and she plays it one time in 2010 in moscow russia which ended up being released on that cd from russia with love so again one time Again, paired with Take to the Sky, which she had been playing with I Feel the Earth Move. So again, like here we're going to release this. Don't want to pay the royalties for Carol King. So let's throw in Muhammad, my friend again, which obviously they're linked somehow, but I can't quite see it. So yeah. in fact, let's let's send this to our listeners. If you can see the thematic link between Take to the Sky and Muhammad, tweet at us. Hashtag TT. 
T-S-M-M-F. Tell us what you think. But here it is. And in this way, I feel like this Muhammad slows down Take to the Sky. It just changes. The song changes. It's like she, it's two different songs. Take to the sky. Gonna take to the sky. While we were listening to that, you brought up a really good point. You want to say what might be the link? Yeah, I can hear, you know, when she does Take to the Sky live, she hits the piano. She does the little knock. And it's almost like in that moment, she has a little muscle memory. Right. And okay. she's like, remember, remember that time when I did Muhammad, my friend, and I would right. also do this knock? So yeah. why don't I just throw that in? I don't, that's like the only clear connection. Also, too, that I, I think like, it's fair to say in 03, when she did finally do Muhammad, my friend, people had been requesting it so much on that tour. So maybe that had something to do with her initially throwing it in, like, okay, I've got to replace Carol King with something. So I'll do the bridge of something that everybody wants. Maybe maybe it was as simple as that, and then that linked it in her mind for later. Yeah. Who knows? I guess we'll never know. But it was one played one time in 2010, and then two times in 2014. And here's one we have astounding video. This is August 23rd in Orlando, Florida, t- 2014. She did it twice, but here's one time in Orlando. Was San Diego the other time? Mm-hmm. How did I manage to hear both of those performances? Really, were both? Sh- yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> San Diego was definitely like working it out. It wasn't the whole song, and right. then she kind of went went back. Yeah, but what do you think of the flavor? You know, it's a little spice market. Take me, take right. me there, Prince Ali, fabulous he, right. <laughs> star of wonder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite, Muhammad, my friend. You ready? Truly, 
I mean, I love Plug 98 and I love Spice Market. My favorite came in Irving 2017. Mm. Just this last tour on the 16th of November erased all memory that we were in an enormous pavilion that we had no business being in. It was huge. <laughs> and this was right around the string of shows where she was losing her voice. Yes. So she was playing the lower register songs and it was really a magical moment. November 16th, 2017 in I really, really enjoyed that. She played the whole thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The last two weeks of the tour, she was really going for it because she she couldn't hit the high notes. You know, she was sick and she was just playing whatever she wanted to play and whatever came to her and whatever she could play. And there were really special, special shows with Dallas being, you know, his front row for this one too. I, I've seen Muhammad from the front row twice and I'm so, so lucky. Yeah. So as far as live performances go, she's done it a total of 41 times over her entire career. Muhammad, my friend, 41. What was your favorite live version, David? You know, Rain. Rain was really a moment. Of course, you have Maynard. I know it's kind of an obvious answer, but sure. What was your second favorite? I like the plug arrangement. I wish that I'd heard that with the band. That was really interesting. I went to a Baptist elementary school where the only acceptable uh, translation of the Bible was the King James Version. And in that version, uh, it states that Jesus was born in Bentley Helms. <laughs> You're, are you like Rick rolling me with Bentley Helms? I am. Together forever and Bentley my Helms. <laughs> Okay, something I wanted to say earlier, and here's why, David. I'm so happy to have you on the show because I texted David in the middle of the night, frantic. So is she saying Jesus is a woman out of nowhere? Like, how does David know what I'm talking about? That I'm sitting there listening to every live Muhammad, my friend. He doesn't know this. Like I had said earlier, that, that never occurred to me, that she's smashing the patriarchy with this song. I kind of just dismissed the fact that I would ever understand that. That had never occurred. Not really. Stop. No, I mean, it wasn't so important to me. Like, All I, right. you know, it wasn't important enough to me that it needed smashing because I didn't care anything about it. I was out of the closet. I had my own problems. I texted him. So is she saying Jesus is a woman? Literally. 2018, I sent that text message. And he writes... I think she's saying God is obviously genderless, but the major world religions, at least the Abrahamic ones, have of course made God male, subjugated women, kept women out of positions of authority in the church, blah, blah, blah. So what if we went back in time and healed that wound or prevented that, that splintering of male-female duality? What would our society look like? Or how would our relationship with religion, authority, notions of power look different if Christianity was centered around a female messiah? Who knows? And I loved that. I was like, 
oh my god i can go to sleep i don't have to do research david's got it this like, is how done. even i text in the middle of the night yeah. by the way it's like frantic what is she saying <laughs> it's crazy but you nailed it in that text and i'm very happy to have you on the podcast i can't say it enough i hope that everybody is enjoying david because he's enjoyable well i'm thrilled to be here but let's be honest if it wasn't me it would have been inana or whoever <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's our show for the day. Oh, another one in the can. <laughs> I feel like I've been getting it in the can all night. <laughs> I don't know what that means, Muhammad. Let me see your hands. Oh. Peanut butter, just Peanut as butter. I suspected. <laughs> If you like what we do, please support us by following our social media. You can follow us on Twitter, where David does a daily divination. He pulls a song out of the tour song bag and gives you a little inspirational quote. So David's daily divination on our Twitter, at Songs of Toramus. You can follow us on Instagram, where we post pictures, as most people do on Instagram. And you can follow us on Facebook, where we stop being polite and start getting real. If you like what we do, consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Songs of Toramus where we have many different perks at many different levels, including secret podcasts and love. You can follow our newsletter by going to our website, songswithtoriamus.com, and signing up there. David, are you excited about Hey Jupiter? I think this was just the break that we needed yeah, before diving into another epic track. Yeah. Okay, we'll be back with Hey Jupiter. Um, this is the Shiseido mix of Muhammad, my friend, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. I'd like to introduce you to my grandfather. This is Bentley. Um, oh, mm, the first? The second. <laughs> <laughs> Bentley Helms Jr. What kind of car do you drive? A Bentley Helms. Oh. Oh my God! What a beautiful neighborhood. Mm. What is it? What would you call this neighborhood? Bentley Helms. Oh, gorgeous. Well, Bentley Helms adjacent. Truth be told. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoryamus.com.